0: Man, such a good morning together already. I'm just grateful for music, aren't you? Just for the way that uh, we can draw near to God as we sing. Uh, maybe just a quick advertisement uh, that uh, that this evening, if you want more music and you like bluegrass kind of music, so there's this band called the Bearcat Pickers. Uh, Allie, who often plays guitar with us, plays mandolin in that band. Uh, Haley, who would be related to like half the people on this side of the church, uh, and his and her. And her uh, husband, Keith, are also in the band, uh, and they play down at Cottage Community Church. The plan is to be outside, and so bring a lawn chair with you, but 6 o'clock down at Cottage Community Church, south of town. uh, Some live music, just a good chance to go and hear. Am I right about those details? Okay, yeah. No, I'm talking to the people that are related to it. Yeah, okay. All right. Excellent, good. Yeah, so that's the right details. Six o'clock Cottage Community Church if you want to get out. uh, There might be some other people from church and other churches as well there tonight. So I encourage you to go check that out. I am thankful to God for a worship team. I am thankful for the way that music is one of the ways in which we can, as humans, draw near to God. When we love someone, we want to be near them. Right, I love Kirsten, and so I'm drawn to her and want to be near her. I love my kids, and I'm drawn to them and want to do the things that they want to do so that I can be near to them. We want to be near to the people that we love. How do we then draw near to God? The the Jewish people had a right understanding often of God's holiness and their sinfulness And therefore, their inability on their own to just enter into God's presence casually in any way. They knew they couldn't do that. If they were to draw near to God, they knew that they would need a mediator, a priest, someone who could represent them before God. And remember that in the first century, many of the converts to to, to Christianity were Jewish by background. And as people who put their faith in Jesus, the Messiah, came to faith in Christ and followed him, the question was, did they still need a priest? Like, did they still need someone to go before God in representing them? Well, the author of Hebrews is trying to convince the people, these people tempted to go back to Judaism to instead stick with Jesus. He's trying to convince them that Jesus is the better prophet. He's the better revelation of God. He's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. And he's just walked through their history. And then a new argument started in chapter 4, verse 14. Pastor Nick walked us through this three weeks ago, where we are told, and they were told, that Jesus is a better priest and then there was a pause for a couple of weeks now we've looked at the passages in between today's the conclusion of that argument that jesus is the better priest but in the middle of those two there's been this pause for a harsh admonishment a strong serious warning and some significant encouragement in the chapters in between but now we finish the argument and here's the challenge The challenge is, as he's trying to make this argument to a formerly Jewish, now Christian audience, the challenge for them is when he says Jesus is a better priest, they already have in their minds what a priest is, where a priest comes from, and what a priest does. But he needs to change their understanding of the kind of priest that Jesus is. I was thinking about this just this morning, so this isn't in my notes, so I don't know if this illustration will work or not. I didn't think about it much longer than about 30 seconds. But I was just thinking about the fact that right now, we've got, uh, we've got a couple of our kids in cross-country, so we get to go watch cross-country meets. And, and that reminds me of my days. Also, I'm kind of helping Nick out with a middle school youth group a little bit and hear conversation between the kids that are playing football and volleyball and running Running cross country, and I remember my own days of running cross country and having friends that played football. And what I would think in my head when my football player friends or volleyball player friends would talk about how much they had to run in practice. And I'm kind of like, in my head, I'm kind of chuckling. Because in their mind, right, when, when you say running, they've got this idea of like, this is what running is like in their mind. And then you go to cross-country practice, and there's a whole different kind of running and a whole different kind of distance that you're doing. Well, well the people that, that he's writing to and arguing with that Jesus is the better priest had one understanding in their mind. When he's saying priest, they're understanding, oh, this is what he's talking about. Somebody descended from the tribe of Levi who offers sacrifices in the temple. So that's what they're thinking of. And he's got to shift their mindset say, oh no, that's, that's not the kind, exactly the kind of priest I'm talking about. Just Jesus is a priest of a whole different order. And there have been these hints that have been dropped. Three times over the last three weeks we've seen it. In chapter 5, verse 6, in chapter 5, verse 10, and then lately in chapter 6, verse 20 these hints that say that Jesus, yes, he's a better priest, but he's a priest from the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a priest that's not like any of the other priests. It makes sense that the author would compare Jesus to all of these giants of their faith, comparing Jesus to Moses, comparing Jesus to Joshua, comparing Jesus to Abraham. But why is he comparing Jesus to Melchizedek, a pretty mysterious, obscure Old Testament figure. Why why do that? He's mentioned, by the way, I'll read this here in a moment, but he's only mentioned one time in the book of Genesis and one time in the book of Psalms. That's it, in all of the Old Testament. And he gets almost a whole chapter here in the New Testament. Why this comparison? That's what we're going to see in today's passage. And let me just be honest with you as we come to this. Um, If you just read over this in preparation for this morning, you probably read through Hebrews chapter 7 and maybe maybe even literally like scratched your head uh, like, I'm I'm having a hard time following this. Here's what we do as a church. We uh, generally, our practice on Sunday morning is we preach through a book of the Bible. We do that because we believe that all Scripture, all of it, Breathed out by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that we might be equipped for every good work. We do that because we don't want, you don't want me to set the agenda for what I think we all need to know. We want God to set the agenda. God's word has already been written, and we just want to walk through it book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We don't skip hard books, we don't skip hard chapters, we don't skip hard verses. This is a hard chapter. Hebrews chapter 7 is a hard chapter. I love the diversity of the way God's Word works and the way God's Spirit works through His Word. There was a hard chapter a couple weeks ago where the message was very stern and it was, hey, you need to grow up or else. And then last week, same, same book, next chapter, a very encouraging message. Jesus, in a world of so many things that are so unsure, Jesus is a sure and steady anchor. And now this week, Jesus compared to Melchizedek. This is one that is going to stretch our minds. And I think, though, as we dive into it, my goal this week was studying it, asking God, help me to study this and understand it so that I can simplify it so that we can all understand what the heart of this passage is getting at. And then what we're going to do is just walk through it again, verse by verse, rather than me reading all 28 verses right now, though, because that would, I think, without much context, it's just really hard to understand. I'm going to actually just read to you the last six verses. And as we read the last six verses, uh, I want you to be paying attention to where we're headed. The beginning of the chapter is sometimes confusing, but it's all getting us to this conclusion. So I want to read the conclusion first so we know where we're going before we start uh, trudging our way through all of it. So if you're able to, would you stand? I'm going to pray because we need help, I need help, you need help, and then we're going to read God's Word. So Father, I thank you that you are a God who has revealed yourself through your Son and through your Word. I thank you that Jesus is the exact imprint of your nature, that if we want to know you, God, we must know Jesus. And you call us to grow in knowledge. And so today, in a passage that's going to stretch our minds, uh, I know that it's easy for us to, to be lazy, uh, to be inattentive, to be distractive, distracted. And so God, I pray that you by your spirit would help me to speak clearly that you would help us to be engaged, that we would desire to hear what you have for us in this portion of your word, and that not only our minds, but our hearts and our lives would be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I will read from Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 23. God's word says this, The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, he has no need, like those other high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Amen. You can be seated. We always put in the bulletin uh, a sermon notes page along with the life group guide. If it's helpful for you to take notes, this might be a passage where it might be helpful. Just to keep it all straight in your mind, Uh, that note page is there for you. Calling the the message today, draw near to God, because that's a phrase we see come up twice in this passage. The argument today is basically this, draw near to God through King Jesus, who is the permanent and perfect priest. The author is going to get us to that argument by going into more detail than even the Old Testament does about this guy named Melchizedek. This might seem overwhelming to you at first, but I'm going to read to you every Old Testament passage about Melchizedek right now. Every single one, I'm reading it right now. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. This is the context, the story here is God has made a promise to Abraham. Abram, actually still called Abram at this point, has, has uh, gone into the land and, and he has fought against some neighboring kings. And God has given him victory over these neighboring kings. And so we read this then in Genesis 14. We, we're introduced to this character, seems to come out of nowhere, no context, and then he disappears. So Genesis 14 verse 18 says this, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Okay? So that's 2,000 years about before the book of Hebrews is written. You hear about this mysterious priest slash king he's both did you notice that priest of god most high king of salem he is a priest he's a king his name melchizedek actually means king of righteousness he's king over a place called salem which some think might just refer to jerusalem okay so he's king and he's priest this is before anybody else was ever a priest right because the priesthood comes much later in the bible so he's a priest of god most high he's a king And then we hear nothing about him for a thousand years. Nothing else about him for a thousand years till you get to the psalm that Lynn read during the call to worship this morning. Psalm 110. This is a psalm written by a king of Israel, the king named David, And he is prophesying about a greater king, the coming anointed one, the coming Messiah yet to come. So it's a a psalm that's a prophecy about the coming king. But all of a sudden, in the middle of that psalm, he mentions something about a priest. And for the first time in a thousand years, we're hearing about Melchizedek again. So look at Psalm 110, verse 4. It says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay? That's it. That's all that the Old Testament says about Melchizedek. And if you are a Jewish person, like most of the audience of the book of Hebrews, you might be wondering for centuries, uh, the Jewish people maybe were wondering, uh, who is that figure that just gets mentioned in Genesis and prophesied about? Uh, that there's going to be this coming priest king, but the priest is going to be after the order of Melchizedek. Every other priest they knew came from the line of Levi. They're trying to figure out what this might mean. Now I know that for people living in the year 2022 in Iowa Falls, Iowa, or the surrounding area, who is Melchizedek is not a burning question uh, that you. Ha- I-, I get that, right? But just give me a moment to read from Hebrews chapter 7, and hopefully without getting lost in the details, we can see why this is important that Jesus is compared to Melchizedek. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, and just listen. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, that's what we learned from Genesis 14, Right? "...met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, and to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything." That's just a summary of what we saw in Genesis 14. Here's the application of it. "...he is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever." So, so there's something unique and mysterious about this king, this priest. He's not a priest from the line of Levi because Levi hadn't even been born yet, right? So he can't be a priest from the line of Levi. But there's something like we don't know anything about him. He's just acknowledging what we noticed. It's like we don't know who his mom is. We don't know who his dad is. We don't have any genealogy. It's just like he drops out of nowhere as this mysterious priest king right there in Genesis chapter 14. All right, so we know something about uh, him. He's king of righteousness or king of peace by jurisdiction. Let's look at verses 4 to 10. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, Paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Okay, now this might be the part where you start to scratch your head a little bit. Let me just summarize in this way. Melchizedek is a great man, and he's not like the other priests. In fact, he is superior to the other priests, and he's even superior to Abraham, right? So, so different kind of priest drops out of nowhere, he's a king and a priest, and he's superior to all other Levitical priests and superior to Abraham. Here's the interesting part. The whole argument is that Jesus is the better priest. Have you noticed that we just got through 10 verses of Hebrews chapter 7 and Jesus has never been mentioned? The argument is Melchizedek is better than Abraham and the Levitical priests. Okay, well, what about Jesus? I thought this was about how Jesus is better. When are we going to get to Jesus? That's what we get to next. Let me just kind of do a summary. I think I've got slides for this. Just, just in case, like, i got to get it in my head. I can't just hear it once, like, oh, yeah, now I get it. So up on, up on the screen. Yeah, next slide, I think, Luke. I think I have there. What does Melchizedek have to do with Jesus? Here, Here we got it. Jesus is the perfect priest king after the order of Melchizedek. 2,000 years before the book of Hebrews, this mysterious priest-king named Melchizedek was a foreshadowing of Jesus in the book of Genesis. He's not mentioned again for 1,000 years when he's mentioned again in a prophecy about a coming priest and king for Israel in Psalm 110. The foreshadowing in Genesis and the prophecy in Psalm 110 are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. A king in the line of Judah and a priest, not after the order of Levi, but after the order of Melchizedek. Okay? Because if you go through Israel's history, Israel had lots of priests and Israel had lots of kings, but they never had a king priest. Melchizedek was a king priest, and Jesus is a king and a priest. Okay? So, let's continue on, verses 11 to 19. I just want you to hear this. I want you to notice how the priests of that day were like imperfect shadows compared to Jesus, who is more like Melchizedek than he is like a Levitical priest. Verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arrive arise after the order of Melchizedek? Rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord, here's the first reference to Jesus, right? That our Lord, that is Jesus, was descended from Judah. Twelve tribes of Israel, Levi is one of them, that's where all the priests come from. Jesus comes from Judah, descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. Okay? He's just saying, listen, Jesus didn't become a priest because he was born into the right tribe. It's not that he can trace his lineage back to Levi, therefore Jesus is a priest. He can't. Jesus is from a different tribe, from the tribe of Judah. And so he, can, he has the, this priesthood. Why? Not because of bodily descent, but why? But by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him. This is, again, a quote from Psalm 110. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. Who is the better hope being introduced through which we draw near to God? It's Jesus. Jewish people who had grown up drawing near to God only through a priest or a mediator descended from Levi are now being reminded, no, we have a better hope, a better hope, a better means by which we can now draw near to God. It is Jesus, the king, priest, who is perfect. Thousands of years of priests and kings who had failed, like they lived, they failed, and they died again and again and again imperfect shadows of Jesus. But Jesus is the perfect priest king, and he is our better hope, the only one through whom we can draw near to God. So you kind of get where where the argument is going. Maybe. (laughs) Like if if five of you get it, I'm satisfied. That's good. Great. Let's keep moving. Verses 20 to 22, actually 20 to 25, here's the point. Jesus, our permanent priest, can save us completely. Look at verses 20 to 22, where it says this, And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him. Now this is just a longer quote of that same verse, Psalm 110 verse 4. Earlier he quoted the end of the verse, now he's quoting the whole verse. The Lord has sworn... And will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Okay, in the old covenant, the, the priests from the tribe of Levi, they could only be priests temporarily. Why? Why could they only be temporary? Well we'll see that here in a moment. It's because of their death right? That's why they could only be a priest temporarily, because eventually they die. And then there would have to be another priest. That's the way God set it up. But in the New and Better Covenant, Jesus, the priest, is priest forever. He's the permanent priest. And that's exactly what God intended. He swore it by an oath in Psalm 110, verse 4, that this is who Jesus would be, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is a, 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 a huge verse there in verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. That's almost like these previous like name droppings of Melchizedek that were like teasers of, hey, I'm going to get to this in a little bit. This Jesus being the guarantor of a better covenant, that's like a teaser for what's going to come over the next few weeks in chapters 8 through 10. Okay, So much more on that in the weeks ahead. But I want to move on to verses 23 to 25 because we want to hear more about the permanence of Christ's priesthood and why that matters for believers. Look at verses 23 to 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Right? It's not like they get voted out of the priesthood. It's just that they die. Because all the other priests, they're, they're only human. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So see, Jesus is the permanent priest. Verse 25, consequently, here's why this matters. Listen to this. This is a beautiful verse. This has been on the little board in my office this week, so I can keep looking at it and saying, I'm having a hard time understanding all this, but this I can get. Verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Listen to this. Wouldn't it have been right if he would have just said he is able to save those who draw near to God through him? That's true, isn't it? If he just said he is able to save those who draw near to God through him, that's right. But what phrase does he insert in there? to the uttermost, or completely. He is able to save to the uttermost, or completely. I love the emphasis there. Emphasizing that Jesus does not just save you from all your sin in the past, And expect that on the next day of atonement, you got to bring your sacrifice to the temple again. And make sure that gets sacrificed because you just had another year of sin that needed to be atoned for. And guess what you're going to have to do again next year? Go again. And he's reminding them, Jesus is not like that. He is able to save to the uttermost, completely. Nothing left undone. Jesus doesn't save you from most of your sin and leave you to work for the rest of your salvation. All of it. Jesus saves you completely, to the uttermost, forever. There's nothing more to be done. There's not going to be another priest that needs to follow Jesus. He's the only one you need. And then part of Jesus, the other part of this verse that I just love, verse 25 still, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And listen to this, don't overlook this, since he always lives to make intercession for them. After Jesus ascended, after the resurrection, Jesus raised from the dead, he ascends into heaven and we know he's coming again at a time known only to the Father. Jesus is not sitting around in heaven just waiting for the Father's command to come again. Jesus in heaven is actively at work on our behalf as our priest, as the one who it says here always lives to make intercession for them. This is good news. It's not only mentioned here. Think about passages like 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Where John says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But listen, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. One who is our advocate, our defense lawyer, standing up to the Father and, and defending us based on his perfect record. And then Romans 8.34, what a beautiful verse. Many of you have memorized Romans chapter 8. Remember this verse, verse 34? Verse 34. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Christ's work was not finished with death and resurrection, and it doesn't start again with second coming. Right now, the work of Christ is interceding for us. So, let's do some application because we haven't done that yet. And then we'll look at these last verses. Let me say a statement that might sound initially very controversial. We can't be saved without a priest. We can't be saved without a priest. Now, that does not mean... You need to be absolved by your priest or pastor from your sins. Jesus has done all that is necessary to the uttermost. And it's only through Jesus that we can draw near to God. And so let me make sure you hear this clearly. You need a priest in order to be saved. Don't think for a moment that you have done well enough to impress God enough that God will allow you into his presence. The only way that you are assured that you will live forever in the presence of God is that you... Your mind, or maybe mind, need to be reminded that Jesus. We sing often the song when Satan see him there, Jesus, our High Priest, who has passed through the heavens. Tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He, our priest, representing us before God. Jesus is not, listen to this. Jesus is not looking down from heaven, shaking his head at you because you messed up again this week. Christian, Jesus is in heaven pleading for you before the throne of God. He is our ongoing constant mediator, priest, and intercessor. And what Romans 8 chapter 1 says is true. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's a couple of verses left here in this passage. And they're also important. Verse 26 through 28 say this. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. It was indeed fitting, the the perfect fit. It's saying all of these other things, these are all shadows, but Jesus is the perfect fit. Like fall is coming up. Some of you have like a, a favorite sweatshirt, and it's your favorite sweatshirt not because of what it looks like or what it says, but it's just the perfect fit. Like you put it on, and it just feels right. And if you're a guy like me, it's one you bought 20 years ago, and 20 years from now you hope to be wearing it still, Right? You've got something, it's just like, that just fits. Jesus is the perfect fit. He is exactly what we need. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. He's not like the other priests. What's Jesus like? Listen, holy, innocent, not true of any other priest in all of history or presently. No other priest is holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. This is our priest. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He's not waiting for people to bring in a goat that he could sacrifice it on the altar. He, once for all, sacrificed himself. He who was tempted in every way, yet not without sin. Keep it going, verse 28. For the law appoints men in their weakness. Every Levitical priest appointed by the law, according to the law, as a person who is weak and sinful, in weakness as high priest. But the word of the oath, that's the promise in Psalm 110, which came later than the law, right? The law had been written, and then there's this prophecy all these years later, by David appoints a son, who has been made perfect forever. The audience needed to hear this, that every other priest that they could think of was a weak sinner, but only Jesus. Only Jesus is the high priest, appointed as God's Son, perfect forever, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, He doesn't offer daily sacrifices because he has made the sacrifice once for all of himself. You see how this chapter could be easily overlooked because it seems complicated. Church, I urge you, don't stop because it's complicated. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You work hard at learning all sorts of other stuff. Let's work hard, even in the hard passages of Scripture, because in there we find some nuggets. We find some things that we needed to be reminded of like we did today. They needed to be reminded of this. Who's Melchizedek? Why are you talking about Melchizedek? Now we see the answer a little more clearly. When the author of Hebrews argues that Jesus is a better priest, they're going to start thinking about Levitical priests. And Jesus is saying, well, no, he's different than that. He's not not a priest because he was born into the right family. He's a priest who is of the order of Melchizedek, he is a priest who is also a king. Jesus is the priest-king foreshadowed by Melchizedek, prophesied about in Psalm 110 and on display here in Hebrews 7. And this audience, tempted to go back to their old religion, needed to be convinced that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed king, he is their permanent and perfect priest. Only through him can they draw near to God. We need to be convinced of this too. So let me just convince us, if you're not there yet. Final point of application, draw near to God through Jesus. There is nothing and no one more desirable than God. There is nothing and no one more desirable than God. We desire to draw near to Him. But how can we do it? Listen, you might have people in your life that you should give God thanks for. People that seem to have this just special connection with God and they have loved you and ministered to you and been a model and an example for you and they've helped you draw nearer to God in many ways. Maybe a giant of the faith in your eyes. Maybe it was a devoted mother. Maybe it was a faithful pastor. so help us draw draw near to God through Christ even now as we worship him in his name we pray amen